The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for His kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow us on Facebook and visit ShadyGrovePCA.org. All right, we're looking at Hebrews chapter 3 and, in, and also Hebrews 6. Uh, we're going through these verses with the horizontal emphasis or the need to uh, work together as the body and particularly this emphasis in Hebrews. And the, you may have heard this African proverb before. It says, that, you know, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And we want to go far. We want to go all the way to heaven. And uh, as John Piper likes to say, um, the perseverance of the saints is a community project. And the idea is that in, in Hebrews, we see this emphasis of how much we need each other to run this race together. And it's not meant to be run alone. It's not, the Christian life's not meant to be uh, lived alone. And so here are these verses, both of these verses have this emphasis of perseverance to the end. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And Hebrews 6, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work. And the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Let me pray for us. Father, we know that your spirit is at work conforming us to the image of your Son. And that what you have begun, you will complete. And he who calls us is faithful, and he will do it. And yet, Lord, you use people. You use other believers. You use the body of Christ. And we pray that we would see how much we need one another in this journey as we travel through together. Pray that, Lord, your Spirit would be at work in us that we would hear what the Spirit is saying to the church and that you, um, Lord, would change us and bring conviction and change and pray for good fruit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, some of you know that I'm a sap and I love these YouTube videos where a runner is in the race and they're cramping and they're getting dehydrated and they're falling down and what happens inevitably somebody either from their own team and sometimes amazingly somebody from even another country will come alongside and will pick this person up and get them across the finish line and there's one I've seen where the gal's not is doing so badly they need two people to get on each side of her, to get her across that finish line. I just love watching those. I'm I'm a 
I'm a sap. And, you, and some of you, I'm sure you remember the, the particular Olympics where the runner, he just blew out his hamstring in the race. And he's just bawling his eyes out and he's trying to walk. And this guy runs down from the stands, past security, and he puts his arm around this guy. And security's yelling at him, and he's yelling, I'm his dad, and this is my son. And he grabs a hold of his son, and together this father's going to get his son across the finish line in the Olympics. I mean, unless, just an amazing video. I'm sh- if you haven't seen it, if you want a good good cry, you know, you can check it out. I I love those. And I love them because they tell us something about why we need each other. Isn't that like a picture of what we all need? There's times where we're all weak. There's times where we need someone out too strong to give us that lift, to get us across that, that finish line. And the book of Hebrews is all about finishing well. It's about there's a great cloud of witnesses that's gone before us. And we've had some of the cloud of witnesses from this very church. And they've gone before us and they're in glory. And they're doing great. (laughs) And it's like they're now cheering us on. And now we're to keep our eyes on Jesus, right? But it's, it's all about doing it together. Let us run the race. We'll talk more about that next week. But this idea is that the problem in the book of Hebrews was the people were tired. They were getting dehydrated. They were starting to cramp. They were being tempted to shrink back, we're told in in, in chapter 10. And he said, you have need of endurance. Jesus was losing his luster. He was losing glory in their eyes. And they were tempted to see more glory in Moses. That's what the beginning of chapter 3 is all about. Consider Jesus. And then the whole contrast is how he is Like Moses, but better. He was faithful. Moses was faithful. I keep going back to this faithful contrast. Jesus is worthy of much more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Jesus is God because he's the builder. Moses is faithful in all God's house as a servant. But Jesus is faithful over God's house as a son. So Jesus is so much greater than Moses. You think of like, you know, a conversation with like Bill Gates and uh, uh, Warren Buffett. And they're talking about, you know, how great they are. And they say, okay, Jesus, how do you stack up to Warren Buffett and Bill Gates? You know, they got all this, you know investments and all these things and and Jesus is like well I created you I'm giving you life <laughs> you have nothing without me I'm the one giving life to your lungs right now like Jesus is worthy of so much more glory than than Moses or these people because he is the builder he's the one who's building the house he's the one who says it's my church he's the one giving the increase of the government He's the wonderful counselor. He's the everlasting father. But the people here are, they had come out of Judaism and now they're starting to be persecuted for it. And they're starting to think, well, maybe we could just go back. Like maybe Moses was enough. Maybe Moses was pretty good. And the whole, the whole book of Hebrews is like Jesus is better 
than everything that all of the old covenant had to offer. That Jesus is better than the prophets. He's now the final word. He's come and delivered, come himself in the flesh. He's better than the angels. He's better than Joshua. Joshua couldn't give you rest. Moses couldn't give you rest. Jesus can give you the eternal rest. And we'll come back to that, but that's what this passage is about. You've got to keep running. And that Jesus is, he, he brings a better covenant built on better promises. It's a better resurrection. You've got better blood. The blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And Jesus is better than everything that the Old Testament had to offer. Yet the people are being tempted. Maybe this was enough back in that. And they're also starting to be tempted by sin. And they're seeing uh, sin itself is, is this interesting thing about these little sins that begin to dull our hearts. And they begin to cause us to have this evil, unbelieving heart that could fall away from the living God and that we could be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And you think about that, and there's these warnings in Hebrews, and part of for the people of God as people of faith is that we are to not only yield to the commands, but we're to tremble at the threats. And there are these threats in the book of Hebrews that the people of God who rightly reads the threats and we see these things, we're to, we're to tremble at the threats. Yeah, I remember years ago, I was, I was in Clarksville, Maryland, and I pulled into a fast food restaurant off of 108, and I pulled in, and I got out, I came around the passenger seat for something, and I opened the door, and I door nicked. The door just went right into this Escalade. And it was a very, very nice Escalade. And it was a big vehicle. And the guy that got out was even bigger. <laughs> and this guy was wearing a muscle shirt, and he got out of the car, and he said, the least you can do is say you're sorry. And you want to talk about trembling at the threats? I am so, so sorry. Like, I mean, it was like, I would have gotten on the ground and kissed his shoes, you know? I mean, I thought this guy is going to kill me, you know? This, this big bohemoth guy. I trembled at the threats. Well, that's just a little earthly thing. These are the threats of a holy God. And he tells us it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God where there would be no sacrifice for sins left. Like if we truly sin and just willful disobedience and we continue to harden our hearts and rebel, there's a whole generation of people that went across the Red Sea and they thought, we're in because we prayed the prayer. We, we asked Jesus into our heart. We crossed the Red Sea. We, we're in like Flynn. And they all perished in the wilderness. They didn't make it. And that's why you have this passage here with five todays and ten rests. Five times we are told today in chapters three and four. Today, 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 today. He keeps saying, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Do you see that back in 3.7? Then he says it again. That now as the body of Christ, today, we're to encourage each other so we wouldn't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. 
this plaque that would cause the arteries of our spiritual walk to cause us to have a heart attack spiritually and not make it. So today, verse 15, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. He's not done. He says it again. Chapter 4, verse 7, that now again with, with David, and David's the one who's saying this in Psalm 95, today, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Does God still speak to his church? Does he still speak? He just spoke five times. And he said, today, if you hear his voice. And he's referring all the way back to the people in the Exodus. And he was telling them through Moses, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. And then David picks that up and he says to the people of God in his day, today, if you hear his voice, don't be like those people in the Exodus that didn't make it. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. And the writer of Hebrews says it to the local church that he's writing to by quoting David and telling the people in his generation, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. And your pastor is telling you today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. That you need each other in this race because we have this problem. And it's sin. And it's these little sins. Listen to how little sin works. It's very subtle, very gradual. Thomas Brooks, this Puritan writer, said, Greater sins, the greater sins do startle the soul. They awaken and rouse the soul to repentance. They do that more than lesser sins do. Little sins often slide into the soul and breed and work secretly and undiscernibly in the soul till they come to be so strong as to trample upon the soul and to cut the throat of the soul. Little sins. Consider the book of Numbers. This is the people of God that didn't make it, that generation. It started with a pessimism and a negativism. They said, we're not able to go up against this people. They're too strong to us, chapter 13 of Numbers. You remember the spies were sent into the land? They, we're not able to go up against these people. They're too strong. Then it moves to grumbling. Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would that we had died in the wilderness, Numbers 14, 2. And then it moves from grumbling to quarreling. Why is the Lord bringing us into the land to fall by the sword? And then it leads to disobedience. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt, 14, 3. And then 14, 3b and 4. Then they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. It started with, there are too many people, they're too strong for us. Then it moved to grumbling. Then it moved to quarreling. Then it moved to disobedience. Then it led to flat out rebellion. It was gradual. Little sins. Little sins. Well, what's coming out of your heart these days? Patience or impatience? Gentleness or harshness? Mercy or malice? Forgiveness or bitterness? Contentment or covetousness? Love or lust? Anger, humility? Frustration, thankfulness? Obstinance, obedience? Heavenly minded, earthly minded? Like we need these sober warnings. They're against apostasy in the book so that we would tremble at the threatenings. Because the Bible describes sin in these weird words of descriptions. The book of Hebrews says we become lazy, dull of hearing, sluggish, slothful, and slow. I mean, are those not, I mean, what does that sound like to you? Lazy, dull of hearing, sluggish, slothful, and slow. It sounds like drunkenness. 
It sounds like intoxicated. And that's the term that John Calvin uses the most when he describes the sinfulness of humanity. Intoxicated. He says, men are undoubtedly more in danger from prosperity than from adversity. For when matters go smoothly, they flatter themselves and are intoxicated by their success. And we can become dull of hearing, sluggish, slothful, slow, and lazy. And sin begins to deceive us. He says we can be deceived by sin. It begins to blind the eyes, sear the conscience, and harden the heart. Ecclesiastes 8 verse 11 says, Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Think about that. A delayed judgment should lead to immediate repentance, but it's not. It says that the heart of men is fully set to evil because they feel like they got away with it. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of children of man is set fully to do evil. They thought they could get away with it. And so we have to beware of hardening our heart. I mean, the command literally, take care, it literally means beware. 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 When you see the beware sign, I mean, it's like, you know, big dog, you know, beware. Beware, there's a problem. Think about Noah's day. There were a lot of people in Noah's day. They could have described the ark. They could have given you the dimensions of the ark. They could have given you the purpose of the ark. They could have told you about the prophet behind the ark. They could have told you about the animals that got in the ark. They could have been, they could have been arky tour guides. They, they, they knew a lot about the ark. They had one big problem, though. They didn't get in the ark. Are you in the ark? Are you in Christ? Hebrews has these seven crucial ifs in the book. Four of them in chapter 3. He says today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. And then he says it again. He says it in verse 6. He says it in verse 7. In verse 6, he says, if indeed we hold our confidence and boasting of our hope. And we get another if in verse 14 and 15 about if indeed we hold the, our original confidence firm to the end. It's the holding that's the key. If you remember the Seinfeld episode about the rental car company, it's the hold that's the key, right? The hold. Are you holding fast your original confidence firm to the end? It's an if. If we do this. I mean, it even talks about in the book, if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And we will go on and talk about these things if God permits, chapter 6, verse 3. I mean, seven times we have these crucial ifs. And so the response to the seven ifs are the 14 let us's. 14 let us's. Here they are. Therefore, while the promise of his rest still stands, let us. Chapter 4, verse 1. Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Let us strive, therefore, to enter that rest so that none of you may fall by the same sort of obedience. 4.11. 4.14. Since then we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold our confession. 
Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. 4.16. 6.1. Therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Then 10.22. We looked at this last week. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us... Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another, how to stir each other up to love and good works. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Let us. Be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. And through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Let us. You see, as John Piper says, eternal security is a community project. And it isn't interesting that three, Hebrews 3, 12 to 14, it doesn't say, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil heart, an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But read your Bible and pray every day. Is that what it says in verse 13? I mean, the... You should read your Bible and pray every day because those are means of grace. But what does 13 say? Exhort one another every day or encourage one another, implore each one another, beg one another. As long as it's called today that none of you might be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, isn't it interesting that encouragement and exhortation is a means of grace? It doesn't say read your Bible and pray every day here. Run alone. Run, run, you know, do more yourself in your own personal disciplines. Those are important. And there's other places for that. But here he's reminding him, you need each other. And so we're to beg. We're to appeal to each other. It's an imperative. One commentator put it like this. Believers have a corporate and an individual responsibility to care for the spiritual well-being of their fellow men and women. They must consider this responsibility a holy obligation and exhibit utter faithfulness. Think about Pilgrim's Progress for a minute. If you've ever remember or read that, you got hopeful and Christian. And they were good for each other because at different points along the race, they needed each other. If it wasn't for hopeful, Christian would have given in and taken his life when he was in Doubting Castle. And if it wasn't for Christian, hopeful would have given in to Demas, who promised a life filled with riches of the world. And hopeful wanted to go have a look, but Christian exhorted him, the treasure is a snare to those who seek it. And together they fought off Mr. Hold the World. They needed one another. Bonhoeffer, in his book, Life Together, and by the way, this sermon series is called Life Together. It wasn't necessarily tied to Bonhoeffer's book, but the book is a good book. And he talks about the physical presence of other Christians being a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. And if you remember, they had gotten, uh, they went underground and they became this, this body of Christ that was a small group of people as they were resisting um, Hitler. 
And he says, amongst earnest Christians in the church today, there's a growing desire to meet together with other Christians in the rest periods of their work for common life under the word communal life is again being recognized by Christians today as the grace that it is, as the extraordinary, the rose and lilies of the Christian life. The rose and the lilies of the Christian life. Jonathan Edwards, 1700s. He preached a sermon called Christian Pilgrimage and with an exhortation to Christians to help one another in this journey. He says there are many ways whereby Christians might greatly forward one another in their way to heaven. Therefore, let them be exhorted to go this journey, as it were, in company, conversing together and assisting one another. Company is very desirable in a journey, but none in so much as this. Let them go united and not fall out by the way, which would be to hinder one another, but use all the means they can to help each other up the hill. This would ensure a more successful traveling and a more joyful meeting at their father's house in glory. And so when you think of the call to worship and, and how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity, that was a song of ascent as they're going to the pilgrimage, as they're going to the feast and they're singing Psalm 133 and they're reminding of how good and pleasant it is when we dwell together in this journey in, to the ascent as they're heading for Zion. And that was a picture of the greater reality of the real Zion, which is heaven. And that's where we're headed on our journey. We need each other. And there's a couple of these interesting passages like the end of James and the end of Jude where it talks about how people can make a shipwreck of their faith and how somebody has to snatch them from the fire or rescue somebody wandering from the way. And it's this imagery of they were going off the deep end and they were literally grabbed and snatched from the fire. And sometimes that has to happen. You think of the Apostle Paul and you think, man, he, he must have just, he was the man, right? Right? Listen to this. Does this sound like the Apostle Paul to you? But even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. We were afflicted at every turn, fightings without, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the com coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort which, which he was comforted in you, as he told us of your longing. Apostle Paul needed Titus. And he needed the encouragement that Titus brought of the church that was walking with Jesus. Paul wasn't a loner. There was Barnabas. There was Silas. There was Timothy. There was Luke. There was Aristarchus. There was Mark. There was Epaphras. They're all part of this apostolic team. And there's that part in, in 2 Corinthians where it says, you know, this great door was opened up to them. But they, he had no rest in his spirit. He was by himself and he kept going. He didn't even preach the gospel there because he didn't have his team. Apostle Paul. David, in, in his need for Jonathan, there's this little verse in 1 Samuel 23 where David's life is hanging in the balance. And the Lord shows him that the people at the town of Cala, they're going to hand him over to Saul. So David has to flee. And then later in the chapter, the Ziphites betray David. They tell Saul where he is, and Saul comes after him. He escapes by the skin of his teeth. And so you can imagine he's very distressed and he's on the run. But between those two events, between the betrayal of Keilah and the treachery of the, of the Ziphites, God tells us how David persevered. We're just told that Jonathan, Saul's son, 
rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. He went and found him and strengthened his hand in God. Jonathan, what an amazing friend in his time of need, strengthening David. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, says, Christ works, works on us in all sorts of ways, but above all, he works on us through each other. We are carriers of Christ to each other. I think for me personally, like going to General Assembly and being around all these other pastors and hearing their stories and hearing God's grace in their lives of how they're persevering, where they're finding bread, what's been a refuge for them. I had lunch this week with another pastor, and it was so encouraging. We're honest, saying, you know, this has been a hard season, but it's been a season of growth. You see, the Proverbs is true. Proverbs 18.1, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. We can't isolate ourselves. We're the psalmist would say something like Psalm 141.5 where he says, let a righteous man strike me. That sounds weird. Let a righteous man strike me. It's a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It's oil on my head. Let not my head refuse it. That we need one another. We need this, this sharpening of one another, exhorting one another as long as it's called today. And you think of some of these Old Testament saints. Think of someone like Naaman. What had happened if Naaman hadn't listened to his sermon, his servants? He would have never been cured of his leprosy. I mean, he was angry. He was so mad. Who's this guy I think he is? He tells me, go wash in the Jordan River. His servants come to him and said to them, though my father, it's a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? And so Naaman went down and he dipped himself seven times in the, in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God and his flesh was restored like that of the flesh of a little child and he was clean. What if Jethro hadn't come alongside of Moses who was overworked, tired, not delegating and, and Jethro hears the story of, and, and he says to, to Moses, what you're doing is not good. You and the people will certainly wear yourselves out for this is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. And Moses listened. What if Nathan hadn't rebuked David? As David was persistent in unrepentant sin after his adultery and his murder, we wouldn't have Psalm 51 in our Bibles. We wouldn't have a repentant David, but Nathan rebuked him. Matthew Henry put it like this in his commentary on this very passage, Hebrews 3. He says, if Christians do not exhort one another daily, they'll be in danger of being hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Okay. No, there's a great deal of deceitfulness and sin. It appears fair, but it's filthy. It appears pleasant, but it's pernicious. It promises much, but performs nothing. The deceitfulness of sin is of a hardening nature to the soul. One sin always prepares for another. Every act of sin confirms the habit. Sinning against conscience is the way to sear the conscience, and therefore it should be of great concern to everyone to exhort himself and others to beware of sin. And that's what we have in this text is we have this call five times today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. And where are you going to find rest? Just because you crossed the Red Sea on dry ground for these people of God, they had seen a miracle, they had started with God, they had crossed over, and that whole generation didn't make it. And, and the writer of Hebrews is saying in verse 16, who were those who heard and yet rebelled? 
Was it not all those who left Egypt, led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see they were not able to enter because of unbelief. And so what we see here is this warning is for us today. Don't throw away your confidence. We got to keep running this race and we run it together. And you don't want to throw away. It's kind of like if you had a winning lottery ticket and it was worth $10 million, would you just throw it away with your lunch? Of course not. Well, why would you throw away something much greater than $10 million? This is much better than a lottery ticket. You see, Israel thought the Red Sea was enough. They thought the mercy of the Red Sea was enough, yet they had no love for God. And we're called in this text to see that the writer of Hebrews is showing us that Jesus is greater than Moses. Moses led the people into Canaan. He was to lead them into the promised land, and yet the promised land, they didn't make it, and they died in the wilderness. But Jesus, our leader, is greater than Moses, and he's leading us to a greater promised land, the promised rest of heaven, and to reject heaven would be to choose sin, and to choose sin would be to choose hell. It would be a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, for our God's a consuming fire. And so what are we to do? We're to be grateful that we're receiving such a kingdom and we're to hold fast our confidence firm until the end, but we do that as we are in community and we press on together. But if we pull away from the body and we think we can just run the race on our own, we, we, we might go fast, but we won't go far. And we need the Lord and we need one another. And I would just say to us that I think one of the keys and going forward in all of this, is to recognize that there's nothing special in any of us. We're all weak. And if we think, like, we've arrived. Like, I remember one time riding with somebody on a bike, and he was so much better than me. He was just so fast. And I didn't even know when I met him. I said, hey, this is actually another pastor. This guy, could he was fast. And I, and I said, hey, why don't we meet over at such and such place? And he says, yeah, I know that area really well. Well, later when I went to record it on my Strava account where we started, we climbed a hill, and I saw KOM with his name on it. Okay, that means he's the king of the mountain. All the thousands of people that have ridden this over the years, the guy I'm riding with is the KOM. Yeah, I know where we're meeting. Yeah, he didn't tell me I'm the KOM of all the thousands of riders. Well, we're riding, and I'm just getting exhausted. And he just says, ah, don't worry about it. This is an off day for me. This is a recovery ride, you know, like. And I'm realizing he's bored and I'm exhausted because he's so much better than me. And it wasn't any fun for either of us. And so we never rode together after that because, <laughs> and it's true. He didn't want to ride with me and I didn't want to ride with him because we, we couldn't go together because he was so much better. Have you ever been around people like that? They're so much better than you that you don't want to be around them. If we portray that as the body, we're not going to go real far together. But if we recognize our finitude, that we have great limitations, we are creatures, and God has made us a creature, and finitude is actually a blessing. 
This is what Kelly Capick's whole new book is about. And the idea is that we think that we just think if we have a better time management program that we could fix our finitude problem and we could get more done and we could put our head on the pillow at night and really feel better about ourselves if we just had a better time management plan. And his point is it'll never happen because it's a theological problem, not a time management problem. You are made a creature You have huge limitations, and what makes you humble is not just that you're a sinner. You're going to be humble in heaven, and you were humble in creation before there was ever any sin in the world. What makes you humble is you're a creature, and that's a beautiful thing. But guess what creatures need? One another. We're image bearers, and we say, ah, you're a creature, but God's gifted you with gifts that I don't have, and you bring this to the table, and I'm very, very limited of what I can do and what I can offer, but I will offer it, and you will offer, and the circulation starts to happen, and the body starts being the body, and then we grow together up into the head. That's what we need. Let's pray together. Father, do it work in each of our lives and knitting us together as we think through these life groups in the fall and seeing our need to reconnect and engage in the body. We pray that, Lord, you'd breathe new life into us, that you'd restore, Lord, our fortunes. Many feel lonely, feel cut off and alienated. And we pray that, Lord, we would see how much we need one another. And pray that, Lord, you would take this word now and take it and work it deep down into our hearts, that it would bring forth faith, that it would bring forth hope, and it would bring forth love. We ask in your name. Amen.